The Laura Flanders Show. This is a place to go for stories of resilience, power shifting, and change rooted in love. This is Leah Penniman from Soul Fire Farm. The Laura Flanders Show is made possible by listeners just like you. You can become a sustaining member and help keep our programming independent, audacious, and ad-free. Go to patreon.com forward slash the LF show and become a member. And this is The Laura Flanders Show, a TV and radio program that shines a light on the solutions of tomorrow today. We report on the people and movements driving systemic change from the worlds of politics, arts, and entrepreneurship. Welcome. The right seem to have found their latest racist wedge issue, critical race theory. The simple idea that the law isn't race neutral has suddenly become a talking point for GOP activists and mainstream media, and it's bringing a lot of heat to school board meetings across the country ahead of election season. As of this recording, six states have passed laws that stem from the furor. School board members and their families have been threatened, and teachers have even been fired. Needless to say, the people doing most of the talking on critical race theory aren't the lawyers and scholars who invented the term, but like allegations of political correctness and racial preferences, or even the great stolen election hoax, the manufactured furor is sowing division and fear and affecting real people's lives. So, what is critical race theory actually? Why are some people so obsessed with it? Who stands to gain? And how could journalists do a better job of correcting all the disinformation? To answer those questions, I speak with UCLA and Columbia law professor Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, whom the New York Times once called critical race theory's chief theoretician, and former CNN host Soledad O'Brien, now host of Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien online. Later in the program, we'll also meet a young man who's been organizing to support his former high school teacher, a man who was fired in the middle of all this after 16 years on the staff of a high school in Sullivan County, Tennessee. First up, though, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw. My old friend Kim, do you think that's fair? Are you the chief theoretician of critical race theory? No, there's no chiefs uh, over here, but I was one of the ones that created the first workshop and created the term critical race theory. So I guess I'm kind of inside the bull's eye on this one. Well, you certainly are. So take us back there. I mean, it almost goes back to when we first met, you know, the late 80s. You were with a group of people talking about this, professors mostly, and you authored a, a Harvard Law Review piece that in some quarters is called the kind of manifesto of critical race theory. Can you talk about the conditions of that time and what gave rise to this work? We were, Laura, part of what I consider the second generation of civil rights activists and students. We occupied the institutions after the sort of formal segregationist period was deemed to be over. Many of us had gone to Harvard Law School to study with Derrick Bell, author of the famous Race, Racism in American Law, only to find that he had left and that there were no plans to teach his course. So our goal was to seek the kind of education that would allow us to be helpful in the ongoing struggle for racial justice, the ongoing struggle to dismantle uh, the consequences of white supremacy. And there we learned not only that this elite institution was completely disinterested in educating us uh, to fulfill those roles, 
We also learned that the thinking about the relationship between race and law was uh, dramatically underdeveloped. So Mm. critical race theory grew out of this second generation civil rights formation, looking at how race and racism wasn't just uh, an issue that the law sometimes came in and, and tried to provide remedies against. The law was often the thing that created the very problem that it was then purporting to solve. You know, the very idea that race is a natural category is a false idea. Race is what we call socially constructed. Namely, race is a product of laws, of practices. Law made the fiction of race materially real. So when when these critics of critical race theory say that we're the ones that believe in race essentialism, it is evidence that they have no idea what they're talking about, or if they do, they don't mind lying about what our project really is. I mean, I just have to point out that when um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis refers to his own standing up in favor of educational viewpoint diversity and against what he described as a stale ideology, He's referring to something that is relatively new, that was quite controversial at the time. Has he been around long enough to be stale? And although you've been very expansive here, it's not generally the stuff of K through 12 education. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I if I had my book with me, I would hold it up and, and I'd say, do people really think that this big red book is being taught to second graders? I mean, it, it's a ridiculous claim, but they are not bound to the truth in any way. In fact, one of the main agitators has said, you know, he doesn't give an expletive about what critical race theory really is. What they realize is that this is a container into which they can pour all of their anxieties, all of their anger to uh, distract and deflect from the fact that there really is no uh, agenda that the Republicans have other than holding on to power and trying to make it permanent. And they're doing it in a classic way. You know, they're suffocating democracy and they're saying, hey, look over there, critical race theory. And unfortunately, too many people are are falling in line. I, I think, Laura, it can't be surprising that the base is easily mobilized in this way. What is surprising, and I think it is something that we really have to talk about, is what are the conditions of possibility uh, such that this attack has happened in a way that the other side is is completely unprepared to, to respond to? Why is the fight over school curricula and funding and teaching so important to the right. Uh, Public education remains the most significant public institution that shapes how Americans think about the country, think about its history, think about its future. Brown versus Board of Education said it clearly. The reason why integration was so important is that education is the key to preparing people to participate in what we want to call ourselves to be a democracy. So, you know, I I think there is some agreement about that uh, from left to right. Another way of putting it is there's agreement about the idea that the truth will set you free. Where we divide is that our side wants to teach the truth and the other side doesn't. 
So this is a classic move. The right creates the story, often by lies and disinformation. They then are able to mobilize outrage, you know, around the lie. And then when mainstream media come along, they just report the controversy rather than how the controversy itself was produced. So we know it now. We've seen it. We've seen it now play out in six months. My hope is that since we've seen it so many times before, we're not going to let you define what critical race theory is any way you want so that we all go a jump ship. We're not going to let you poison what beauty is being produced in our citizenry by people demanding to know more. We know truth will set us free and we are determined to create the classrooms and the information that our citizens need to actually be able to fully participate in this democracy. I mean, how does it feel to be under attack like this? And what's helpful? No academic wants to see their life's work being thrown around like a political football with no sense that one has to engage the ideas on their own. Nobody wants that to happen. And yet I have to also say that nothing uh, creates more demand to understand an idea than officials saying that the ideas have to be banned. So bring uh, it on? There is, there is that. Uh, the good news is more people have heard of critical race theory in the last six weeks than heard about it over the last 30 years. So that's the good news. The bad news is they were introduced to it by you know, the right. And so the negatives are high. Our goal um, is to come along and say, you want to know what critical race theory is? Let, let's talk about critical race theory in practice. Let's talk about critical thinking about race that's happening in your children's classroom. And if it's not happening, let's talk about why it needs to happen. So, you know, when, when you say what helps, what helps is, first of all, media not asking uh, us to eat from a table that has been set by the right. And that's what's been happening for the last several weeks. Like, what is it about you guys that they don't like? You know, <laughs> uh, what what is this critical race theory rather than what is it that is motivating the right to pour all their grievances into this frame. Who's behind this? What's the money? What's the end game? And I think the other thing that, that is incredibly helpful is when teachers and students and parents start telling their stories about what is happening in classrooms that open the eyes, that allow us to understand our history for what it is to imagine different futures. It, it's helpful to tell the stories about, you know what, I knew nothing about the Tulsa massacre. And I went to a high school in Tulsa. What is that telling us about the intention to bury our history? So let's step out with the stories of what real education looks like. And let's also, honestly, let's tell the truth about what happens in classrooms in which anti-racism is not a value. We're hearing all of these stories, most of them unverifiable, about terrible things that are supposedly happening as an expression of critical race theory. But all of us who've been through American classrooms know on a day-to-day -day basis some of the racist things that happen in classrooms. So let's talk about all of it. Let's give Americans a picture of what's really happening, and then let's have a fight about what should happen. 
you have been moving our debate in many directions over many years. It's always a joy to talk with you about this, even though it's so frustrating. Um, maybe we are making a little bit of progress. Such a pleasure, Laura. Thanks. Professor Crenshaw, thank you so much. This is The Laura Flanders Show. I'm Laura. That was UCLA and Columbia University law professor Kim Crenshaw. She's founder and executive director of the African American Policy Forum, as well as being founder and executive director of the Center for Intersectionality and Social Policy Studies at Columbia. We're getting to the root of the latest disinformation campaign by conservative legislators and activists around the term critical race theory, a project Crenshaw is credited with naming. You can find more of my interviews with her going back years at our website, lauraflanders.org. And that's also where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter to receive information on all of our streaming events and audio extras, including my commentaries and our full uncut interviews. We'll be posting the full uncut with Professor Crenshaw next week. Again, that's lauraflanders.org. Later in the program, we'll meet a young man who's been organizing to support his former high school teacher who was fired earlier in the midst of all this in Sullivan County, Tennessee. Next, we'll hear from broadcast journalist and producer Soledad O'Brien, who has been fighting disinformation in the media since her years as a CNN host. She testified not so long ago at a House hearing on disinformation and extremism in the media. But first, here's Home in America by Analog Players versus Master Ace, and produced by Ben Rubin and Eamon Drum, courtesy of the artists. I'm feeling closed in, and I want to go wrong. Through the cotton fields, yeah, and tobacco plants, yeah. Got a fire burning in me like a jack-o'-lantern. Turn and look over your shoulders, honey. My group was looking at you like you owe the money. Reparations, conversations. Damn, 40 acres takes a lot of patience. Land of the free, home of the brave. Blood of the child, soul of the slave. Strange fruit. From a poplar, scream so loud it's like he's singing in the opera. He was the guilty of the crime. Next, we go to Soledad O'Brien, former CNN host and host of Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien. She's been fighting disinformation in the media for years and recently testified in Congress before the House Subcommittee on Disinformation and Extremism. Soledad O'Brien, thank you so much for joining us. You have seen this kind of scenario before, but I want you to. Lay it out for us. How did critical race theory or the furor over it become a news story and in so many ways a news event? Yeah, it doesn't happen unless the news media decides to give an assist and in some ways play the both sides game. And you'll remember, I think one of the very first people who wrote about it was Peter Baker in The New York Times. And the headline of his piece was Trump more than ever casts himself as the defender of white America. And he's talking about Donald Trump's memo, which essentially says that uh, he's going to ban racial sensitivity training. And he, the quote is this, divisive, false, demeaning propaganda of the critical race theory movement. So conflating those t- things, Peter Baker of The New York Times could have said those are not the same thing. Right? He could have told people 
well, what is critical race theory? Uh, he chose not to do that. In fact, the failures, I think, with that very first piece back in September of 2020 were in not defining what critical race theory is. It's obviously very complicated, no better place to do it than in the pages of the New York Times. He took President Donald Trump's, a very well-known and recorded liar, his point of view and his definition and used that definition. And then, of course, others went on to quote the New York Times, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you start there with a pretty good example of a fail. And I think the media has repeated that fail over and over and over again. Critical race theory is not the lady in your kid's school who does diversity training. Critical race theory is not the diverse, the diversity executive at your company. Critical race theory is not Ibram Kendi. It is not 1916 Project. It is not any of those things. Can you talk a little bit about the pressures that might be on journalists to cover what looks like a story, the sort of outlandish statements that people make? They will always say, as they did throughout the Trump administration, well, it was news. What do you say back to them? I think it's a lot about ratings. I think even those people, Chuck Todd is a good example. I think his words were, it's a faux controversy. So he's saying this thing is fake. While he has the person on his show who's talking about concerned parents and a grassroots effort, but he's giving him his platform while he is telling us that it's fake. Now, I think sometimes people get confused. Chuck Todd doesn't have to have anybody on. He could talk about it being fake without giving a platform to a person who is making stuff up. So who is benefiting from this drama and how do we move beyond it? Do we just abandon the territory of critical race theory and, as you say, rebrand, try to talk about something else? Listen, slavery happened. It's it's a fact. Jim Crow happened. It's a fact. Uh, there are many, many facts in history that we should be talking about. None of those things are critical race theory which again only happens at a very high level debate and discussion when you're talking about intersectionality and the law and race. So we've turned, we in the media generally, the media has turned something that does not exist, is not being taught in anybody's kid's school, is not happening as if it's an actual debate that's unfolding right now. Are you happy to be out of CNN at this point? Would it be <laughs> difficult for you to be making these points if you were still there? I don't think I could be as critical as I am of the media and platforming liars and giving a space to misinformation and disinformation and do that and overtly call it out consistently. I just couldn't do that. So yes, I'm glad that I'm not in any news organization where you have to lay that out for people. I think it becomes problematic. And I think it's why you see the news media so reluctant, mainstream news media, to call themselves out, right? To say, I mean, Peter Baker could write, an essay on what he got wrong. He was early in it. He could have said, here's here's what I did wrong, because I could tell him what he did wrong. Uh, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And even when you would do that and make a correction, as you know, it doesn't have the impact of the initial article or piece, et cetera, et cetera. So it might seem obvious, Soledad, but do you think any of this that we've been talking about has any relationship to the decline in trust we're seeing amongst the public when it comes to journalists and journalism? There's no question. The trust in media numbers are very, very low. I think that's hugely problematic and it is a vicious cycle. Someone asked me once, so how do you fix that? I think my analogy was, it's like a cheating boyfriend, right? You just have to be trustworthy. You can't talk about being trustworthy. You can't say we're going to do better. You actually have to do the work of doing better. You could slow down. You could 
help your viewers to understand the issues and not cover a debate uh, that is not a real uh, debate that's ginned up, to quote uh, Chuck Todd. And so it destroys the debate about what we do value in this country and how we are going to work together uh, for our democracy. Host of Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien. Soledad, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure talking with you about this, truly. Ginned up as the controversy over critical race theory may be, it has already borne real consequences for teachers and students around the country. We go now to Bluntville, Tennessee, where the local school board recently voted to fire a 16-year veteran high school teacher who taught a class on contemporary issues, including race. We'll speak with his former student, Kyle Simcox, who's leading a movement to support him. You were a student of Matthew Hahn, known as, as Coach Hahn. He was there for 16 years at Sullivan County Central High School. Who was he to you? What did he teach? And what's happened? Coach Hahn was a teacher, a mentor, uh, but most of all, a friend. He was somebody that you could always go to him. You could always confide in him. You, you always knew that you had somebody who cared. That's what he meant to me. He, he was a, he was a really, really good friend to me. He really cared for me and all and everybody at that school. Um, he taught personal finance, economics. He taught contemporary issues. He was a pitching coach for the school and, you know, he had been there for 16 years. So he was a very tenured teacher there at Sullivan Central High School. Your local school board recently voted to proceed with firing Coach Hahn. On what grounds? They say that it has nothing to do with critical race theory, but they're, they're basing it on the grounds that he showed videos and published articles in his class that were inappropriate and contained some harsh language. And so that's what they're basing their dismissal off of. What do you make of that? I think that's total baloney, if you ask me. I, we all know, most everybody in the community even knows that they're, they're doing this, you know, out of fear of, you know, repercussions from the state for having a teacher who had taught critical race theory and is very open about teaching critical race theory and a teacher who teaches about white privilege and white supremacy. And uh, I think that they they don't want that in their school system and they want that gone and they're wanting to, uh, as you could say, whitewash him out of the system. Now, we've spoken to Kimberly Crenshaw, the professor who's credited with coining the term critical race theory. She will say, look, this is a very esoteric field of legal study, which is mostly not taught in high schools, but it is also a way of looking at the law and out of American society, a kind of lens. When you think of critical race theory, which are you referring to? And what was Coach Hahn teaching? As he said in his uh, defense during his first hearing, he says, my students know one side. I'm here to show them another side. They already know the side of racism and hate. They grow up in that. They know what that is. I'm here to show them a different side. What do you think is really at stake here? Why this fight right now? A big thing that's going on in the county right now is there's a new school about to open. We're actually going to be closing three of the four county schools, Sullivan North, Sullivan South, and Sullivan Central, and they will all be combined into a, a brand-new state-of-the-art West Ridge High School. And I think that uh, the county is trying to make sure that they cover all their bases and they get rid of anybody that might pose a threat to them uh, whenever it comes to teaching critical race theory. That's something now in the state of Tennessee you cannot do. And if you're caught doing that, your school will actually lose state funding. And so, you know, whenever they made this new school, they had promised all the teachers that everybody would still have a job at the new school. 
And, uh, you know, now that's not true. They're getting rid of Coach Hahn just because he taught love over hate. Now, this has caused a lot of heat at school boards all around the country, including where you are. You were recently treated pretty harshly at a school board meeting, if I understand it correctly. Can you tell me what happened? Did you feel afraid? And do you think there are people who are feeling afraid in all of this right now? Uh, yeah, at that school board meeting, it was definitely a surreal moment. I, I felt very, at times, on edge, uh, very tense. There were five or six police officers in the room. It, it was just very, very, very controlled by the school board. Um, you know, I think once they voted, there was one member who voted no to dismissing him, and the whole room erupted in cheers and and and. It was a very good moment, but that moment was short-lived, you know, whenever we found, whenever we saw the reality that he was going to get terminated. And it, it was definitely an oppressive feel from the school board. It, it was a really sad, sad day. This furor is affecting school boards and communities all across the country, well beyond the career of any individual. How is it affecting Blountville? How is it affecting Sullivan County in Tennessee? It is affecting Blountville and Sullivan County and the whole state of Tennessee by reversing the hands of time. You know, you look at what Martin Luther King Jr. went through, what uh, Congressman John Lewis went through um, with the Freedom Riders and the marches and the beatings and the arrests that they had. And they did it all in the name of, of civil rights. And they got so much done. It wasn't that long ago where we actually had KKK rallies and the Sons of the Confederacy rallies in our hometown back 20 years ago. And it is my fear that we are reverting back to a time where those people will feel comfortable coming back out and gathering. It's hurting a lot of people. It's destroyed, you know, Coach Hahn's livelihood. His, his, you know, his career was teaching and educating. And now this man is having to start over. There's a lot of work to be done. And if we keep on, keep on trucking, then as John Lewis would say, we're going to start some good trouble. So that's what we're going to try to do. You think you might ever yourself consider running for school board? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, nowadays I'm, I'm busy working. My family uh, runs an electrical contracting business. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, but public office is definitely something that I, I would like to do somewhere way down the line. I mean, it certainly draws attention to why those school boards matter, right? Absolutely. That's something that, uh, we're trying to emphasize in our Facebook group that people can go and sit in on these school board meetings. They're not private. They're for the public. Anybody can go and see these school board meetings. Anybody can go see a city council meeting. Anybody can go to these public events that will impact your community. And so that's the point that we're trying to get out right now, that these people aren't there forever. You know, it's up to the, to the community to decide whether they're there and how long they stay and, and when they need to leave and who replaces them. Kyle Simcox, thank you so much. 2018 graduate of Sullivan County Central High School there in Blountville, Tennessee. Appreciate you joining us. The so-called war on critical race theory is a repeat of old anti-democratic tactics. I remember Ralph Reed, then of the Christian Coalition, saying he'd rather have a thousand members of the school board on his side than one president and no power at the base. How do you keep a minority in office in a democracy? Well, Ralph Reed knew how. You use fear to excite the base. You win local power. Then you gerrymander, redistrict, and now you're controlling the state. At the national level, all you got to do is keep people distracted and progressives will never get done what they were elected to do. People get frustrated and there you have it, a trifecta. 
There's just one defense for progressives, not to buy into this stuff and to keep focused on what they actually have as their priorities in this moment. So that's my message today. Thanks for joining me. For more information on this week's guests, go to patreon.com forward slash the LF show. That's also where you'll find a suggested reading list and additional related episodes to explore from our archives. We invite you, all of you, to watch the premiere of every week's episode on YouTube. That's the TV version on our YouTube channel, 11.30 a.m. every Sunday. Watch with us there and then participate in a live chat afterwards with myself and invited guests. All those details are at patreon.com forward slash the LF show. You don't have to be a member, but we hope you'll sign up. We like to hear from you, hear your questions, hear your comments, your suggestions for the show. And while you're there, consider becoming a member. Join our Patreon producing partnership with people everywhere who contribute, I don't know, $3, $5 or $10 a month and help us keep this programming going out to TV and radio audiences free. Every dollar makes a difference and keeps the ads out. Big thanks to all of you who are already our Patreon partners. Thank you. This show is produced by yours truly, Laura Flanders, with Matt Colicello, Jeremiah Cothran, Mercedes Grostiaga, Jeannie Hopper, Nat Needham, Charlotte Carpenter, David Newman, Rory O'Connor, Ryan Hote, Sabrina Artel, and Jeanette Hernandez. Major funding for this program is provided by the Novo Park, Ellen Poss Family, Hisuku Wilson Foundations, the Schumann Media Center, Rising Fund at Tides, Kim Connor and Nick Groombridge, Jane Fonda, and listeners like you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for contributing. Thanks for your ideas. Stay kind. Stay curious. Until the next time, I'm Laura.